You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So it's going to be an interesting and tumultuous weekend um, because we're leaving for the weekend. It's just for a day, but um, as I've mentioned, my laptop is its basically just a no-go. I'm not even going to bother with that. So the real question is, Am I going to be able to record a podcast on my phone and make it worth uploading? That's going to be the biggest question. Otherwise, I'm going to break my streak and I'm going to have to try to find a a two for one of these days. Because I don't count the uh, Daily Cheese as my podcast, for those that are wondering. So when I'm adding up and saying I'm on episode 800 and whatever I'm on, that's just my stuff. Back when I was doing the the two-a-days with On This Day in History for my podcast, did not count those. So there's been quite a bit more content than even my you know, whatever number I say I'm on. But anyways, just letting you know that that's going to be an issue. We're leaving today. We're going out east. Daughter has a cross-country thing. Then we're going to see family, spending the night, that whole shebang. So we'll see. But on top of that, um, number one, Flick Chat. I know some of you guys have been putting in your picks for Iron Jock and all that. That was for two weeks ago. That doesn't count for this. I just haven't deleted it because I still haven't sent out the hoodies, and I don't want to delete anybody's name and forget who won. Sorry to the winners. I'm, you know, it's just one of the things you got to put up with me, man. I'm just going to be a little bit late on stuff. I have a very serious problem of looking at way too much stuff to do, staring at it and going, I don't know, man, and then just not doing any of it. So <laughs> I got to prioritize a little bit better. At least accomplish a thing today. That'd be great. Um, but we do have some very, very exciting stuff. We've got the uh, Packernet newsletter, which is going to be, I guess, today, I think, right? So make sure you get in on that. Um, some very, very cool stuff that I have not even talked about on this show as far as statistics and whatnot, uh, score predictions for tomorrow, uh, on this week in history type stuff. Very, very cool, unique, very bullet pointy. So you just kind of open up and go, oh, wow, cool, bunch of Packer stuff. The, the goal was something that there's no reason that any Packer fan wouldn't want this because I want this spread as far as and, and wide as possible. And I think we've more or less accomplish that. Not that we can't tweak it or improve it over time, but I'm very happy with the uh, first issue. If you're not sure where, I've been posting it all over social media, but it's just packdraft.com slash newsletter. For those wondering what is packdraft, you know, I was running low on projects, so don't worry about it. Also, extremely excited today. Um, we're bringing something back. I mean, this is one of the OG... If any of you remember this, I'll be stunned. I think it was just on YouTube I had this. I had worked with this guy a long time ago, like three years ago. This would have been back when I first got started doing this kind of stuff. He lives out by me, um, very, very intelligent um, football mind. I got him to agree to do videos for me again. I I reach out like once a year-ish, maybe once or twice a year, just kind of touching base. Um, He's very busy with with his life. school as well as his other job and it didn't even dawn on me duh dummy covid maybe he's available so at least for the time being um coach hahn is going to be back he's going to be making i believe i don't know how long or how often or whatever he seems pretty fired up about it i hope he is um i believe probably weekly videos doing kind of in-depth video breakdowns of stuff and um, he sent me the video it's awesome the only problem with it is it makes me feel like a fraud (laughs) doing what i'm doing like, oh, there's all that going on? Oh, well, okay. But um, extremely high-level stuff. Like, if this is a 100-level class, he's at least a 300-level. i got to find somebody that's like a 200 to kind of bridge the gap between uh, myself and Mr. Coach Hahn. But, uh, yeah, looking at the Buccaneers' defense, specifically their defensive line and what Todd Bowles likes to do. And I want to kind of take a little bit of what he said, because today I want to talk about 
the specific direct matchup and some of the things he said I don't want to just verbatim say what he said because then what's the point of the video right he wasted his time and I'm being kind of a jerk about it but there's one thing that he kind of highlighted that I want to bring into what I'm talking about but uh, either way I'm going to be posting that on my YouTube channel Pack Daddy NFL as well as um, probably the Packernet podcast Facebook page because I don't want to demonetize cheese and Packers and again I don't really care what they think about Packernet podcast anymore because they uh flagged me to death already and are not even willing to hear me out on stuff so fine i'm posting nothing but videos that i plagiarize i will only rip off other sites in the nfl from now on i'm kidding i'm just being spiked that's not true only a little bit true but because it's good content man but uh, be on the lookout for that i got to get that up hopefully soon otherwise i think you're all caught up again flick chat if any of this stuff you want to get involved in and you just can't find it, I don't have Facebook, I don't use Twitter, I you know, whatever, you can email me, um, thepackdaddy86 at gmail. There are links in the description. I've got my email, I've got a phone number, it's not my direct number, so it's not weird, it's just a Google Voice number. You can text me, call me there, it just goes straight to voicemail, just be like, I want to sign up for this, that, or the other. I don't know where it is, I don't know what to do, help me out. I will always be willing to help you out with that. Uh, we may as well start with the injury report. That kind of informs everything we're going to be talking about, if we're going to be talking about players versus players and whatnot. Starting with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the guys that are currently questionable. Uh, a couple surprising questionable. Again, the assumption is they're going to play, but uh, Carlton Davis is uh, interesting. He's not the most dynamic guy. They do have one very good corner on their team, but Carlton Davis is sort of a younger um trying to think who to compare him to. Not not necessarily Jair. I, I guess kind of like a Kevin King, although maybe a little bit more talented. That's going to sound mean. Let's just say Kevin King, right? He, he, he was drafted relatively early. They, they got high hopes for him. So far, hasn't quite gotten there, but I think he was a second-round pick. Uh, Khalil Davis along the defensive line is questionable. He didn't practice Thursday, but he's been limited ever since. Carlton Davis, by the way, limited Thursday and Friday. Um, and then also Leonard Fournette, limited uh, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, is currently questionable. Everybody else seems like they're full go. Um, including Jason Pierre-Paul, who didn't practice on Friday, um, just kind of popped up. I don't know if that was just to give him one more day of rest, just to kind of ensure, but uh, yeah, they're saying he's full go. Um, on the Packers' side, Tyler Irvin is officially out. Kevin King, however, did practice on Friday, so some positive news there. Uh, a lot of hemming and hawing about what are we going to do. I had mentioned I think Josh Jackson would step in. Maybe we still see a little bit of him. We've seen the Packers be extremely... Um, overcautious, you know, um, to where they just trust their guys, although so far that trust has been on offense. We'll see if they have as much trust with the defense. As I mentioned yesterday, Kevin King is sort of the, although Jair is clearly the better corner, you know, when you're talking Mike Evans, I don't know that you don't want to at least start with Kevin King and see how that goes. I feel like that's got to be your first go-to because it's just such an ideal. That's, that's what Kevin's here for. He's here to go up against the big boys, the Julio Jones, the Mike Evans, those types of guys, just big, physical, wide receivers. If we got to put Jair on him, fine. Let's see what he can do. But it just, again, that's that's what he's here for. So that's kind of the ideal situation. So, you know, the theory behind, well, maybe we'll just rest him to make sure we don't lose him for longer is fine. But I don't know. I don't know how comfortable they are with this. Um, other questionables, Rashawn Gary is questionable. He's been out for quite a while now. It would be nice to get him back. He's been off to a pretty hot start. Not um, not elite by any stretch, but, I mean, his numbers are solid. He's getting he's generating pressure, and that's going to be important in a game like this. I've already mentioned how, you know, Jair's pick as well as Chandon's pick six both came on Rashawn Gary pressures. He had his hand right in the guy's face. So Rashawn Gary is directly responsible for not only, I think, two sacks on the season, but two picks and a touchdown. So he's been he has been impactful this year to a to a pretty large degree. Um, Zadarius shockingly popped up on the um, injury report on Friday with a ankle injury. He was limited. He's listed as questionable. I'm just not even going to entertain the possibility that he doesn't play because that's just absurd. And then finally, Montrevious Adams with a neck injury. Um, wasn't on the injury report on Wednesday, popped up on Thursday, didn't practice, and then was limited Friday. So he's kind of quickly moving in the correct direction. We'll see how that goes. I would say it doesn't matter, but it's sort of like linebacker in one of those situations where you look at the player and say, eh, I don't really worry about it. And then you look at the other players and go, eh, be kind of nice to have them, I guess. But I suppose to really highlight 
the biggest positives, Devontae Adams is going to be in this game. We haven't seen him in a while. Jair, 100%, full participation, ready to go. Um, Kenny Clark, ready and raring to go. Chris Barnes, I already mentioned, he's massively overhyped at this point. <laughs> he basically had one good game, and that's kind of carrying him and and his, his legacy and his legend up to this point. But, um, you know, still one of the better, better linebackers we have. He's ready to go. Uh, Mercedes, some question about him. He's full go. Chandon, no concern whatsoever. He's he's rocking and rolling. We've also got the uh, the guys back from IR. Equinemius is officially back from IR. There's no official word on whether or not they're going to be playing him. Again, it kind of comes down to that trust thing. We know Devontae is going to be the guy. We know MVS is going to be out there. Um, with Tyler Irvin out and obviously Alan Lazard not there, it's hard to say that it, the trust factor comes down to Malik Taylor because I think you would trust Equinemius more than Malik Taylor at this point. So it kind of comes down to, I guess, injury issues or whatever. But I, I, I feel like we're going to see Equinemius this week. And I'm hoping that this whole thing about Matt LaFleur saying, I don't know, we'll have to see how it goes, basically means we've got a lot of plans for Equinemius and we want them to think that he's not even going to play. That's just where my head's at right now. But who knows? Probably not. Although the roster online says they're both still on IR. So I don't know. It was just an article I read. I, I guess don't really expect to see a lot of them. I don't know. Amazing how hard it is to find information on that. You type in their names and it's like talking about when they went on injury report or you know when they got drafted. Like how is this at the top of the search? I don't know. I mean, are you allowed to activate somebody off of IR like on Sunday just to really mess with somebody, or is that like a no-no? I don't know. I don't know the rules. I'll just stop talking and stop sounding ignorant. I guess I'm the guy that's supposed to know stuff, right? So many things to know. Jeez, I'm just, I'm just passing through some areas and uh, I'm just getting annoyed with things. Uh, PFF has their projected box scores, how many yards and points or uh, whatever that they think they're going to get. They have Aaron Rodgers projected 1.7 touchdowns, Tom Brady projected two. I like PFF, man. I like what they are. I like that they offer me something that I can't get, that nobody can get anywhere else. It's literally a scouting service that's available to the public. It's amazing. I love that. But sometimes, man, Sometimes I just want to go a little crazy. Aaron Rodgers projected 250 yards, 1.7 touchdowns. Tom Brady, 310 yards, 2 touchdowns. Okay, boss. Okay, boss. They have Aaron Jones and Ronald Jones, by the way, at almost the exact same numbers. 12 to 13 attempts, 50 to 55 yards, 4.2 yards average for both of them. Ronald Jones anticipating uh, 0.4 touchdowns, Aaron Jones 0.6. Man, you know, well, never mind. I'm not going to go down that down that road. What I wanted to do, let me just say what I wanted to do, because I'm, I'm not going to have time today, and I'm upset with myself for not setting this up. What I thought would be fun is like a giveaway would be to set up like a bunch, a series of polls. Aaron Jones gets um, two touchdowns in this game two or more touchdowns, whatever, right? I, I set up a series of questions like that. I let you guys vote, and then I bet against you. Like, I got to pick one that I think is going to be... So you guys, like, set the line, and then I pick one to bet against. I don't know what happens if I win. I don't. I, I honestly don't even know. How, that wouldn't even... I don't think that would tie in with a giveaway. I just think that'd be kind of fun. Might just do that in the group or something. A lot of people in there. Me versus the group. I don't know. I don't know. But get in the group, because, uh, you know... So let's, it's hard to figure out where to start. Let's, I guess, start with Tom Brady-ish, sort of. So if you're looking at, um, I know I said Tom Brady, but we'll get there. The pass blocking efficiency for teams, that, first of all, just looking at these numbers is ridiculous. Uh, the Green Bay Packers are ridiculous. It's a, it's a good word to use. The Packers are ranked number one in the NFL right now. 93.8 is their metric. It kind of doesn't mean anything. But uh, they are the only team in the NFL via PFF to not allow a single sack. They're the only team in the NFL to not allow a single hit. They have allowed 18 hurries for a grand total of 18 pressure. Not only is that the least amount of pressures, but they rank much higher in the efficiency because it weights sacks higher than hits and hits higher than hurries. Um, So the fact that they don't have any sacks or hits on Mr. Aaron Rodgers this entire season, I know he has been touched, but every time that that's happened, PFF has blamed that on Rodgers holding the ball too long. At some point, it's not the offensive line's fault. Tampa Bay is down here at 12th. Five sacks, 18 hits, and 22 hurries. And that is somewhat good to see because one of the concerns that I have is I had mentioned as far as the Atlanta Falcons are concerned, the reason I was anticipating 
um, Zadarius Smith to get back in the groove a little bit is because they like to throw the ball deep, and uh, Matt Ryan th- holds on to the ball for a really long time. That's going to give our guys a much better opportunity to get after the quarterback. That's the exact opposite of what Tom Brady likes to do. Not only is his arm strength not quite what it used to be, but you know he's the master of the dink and dunk. So there's, there's, there's sort of conflicting issues here. And it probably lends itself to my confusion as to why there's so many uh, sacks, hits, and hurries on Tom Brady this season. I think Tampa Bay is not doing a very good job of utilizing Tom Brady quite correctly. And, I'm, and it's possible that they correct that against it. The, the best way to play the Packers is to get the ball out quickly. If you look at Tom Brady, he gets the ball out of his hand um, the ninth fastest. On average, 2.45 seconds uh, before he throws the ball, just a little bit faster than Aaron Rodgers, 2.46 seconds. So he gets it out quickly. However, and I had mentioned this is somewhat problematic, Tampa Bay is built for deep aerial assaults. So if you look at how many times does a team throw the ball deep, well, Aaron Rodgers is number one, 30 deep ball attempts. But he's not alone. He's tied with Tom Brady. Now, granted, that's in one additional game, so Aaron Rodgers per game is is ahead of everybody, but still, that would mean in second place is Tom Brady. They throw the ball deep a lot. And deep, by the way, is is a uh, pass that is uh, 20 yards or more down the field. Tom Brady has thrown 30 of those in five games. I think the biggest difference, however, is when you look at the percentages, because obviously if you throw the ball more, you're going to end up throwing it deep more. Aaron Rodgers throws it deep 21.6% of the time, number one in the NFL. Tom Brady is eighth, 15.3% of the time. So trying to stitch all this together. The team is built to pass the ball deep. And actually, Tom Brady is doing a good job of that. There's a lot of talk about his arm strength isn't what it needs to be, and he's doing a bad job. His grades are phenomenal. His stats are phenomenal beyond 20 yards. His grade to the deep right portion of the field is a 98.70. 7 of 13 for 241 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions. Deep middle, 4 of 9, 157 yards. And then deep left, 2 of 8, which isn't as good, but 60 yards and a touchdown. He has no interceptions beyond 20 yards. He has two touchdowns. I know there's some some bad throws that are mixed in. But, I, I, again, I'm kind of stuck on the feeling that this is a team with somewhat of an identity crisis. You like to stretch the field. Tom Brady seemingly is handling that fairly well. However, it's causing problems because Tom Brady isn't necessarily built for that. And the offensive line isn't holding up all that well. What would be better is to change your offensive philosophy a little bit, get the ball out quicker. Tom Brady's going to manage that better. He's going to be cleaner, stop taking as many hits as he is. We saw last week his frustration as he threw a little temper tantrum on the uh, sideline at his offensive line because he's not used to that. The second best pass-blocking team in football right now is the New England Patriots. They're always near the top. Tom Brady's always been clean a lot. He's not as much here. A lot of that has to do not so much with the offensive line being elite, similar to what we talked about yesterday with the offensive line and the Green Bay Packers and and how a lot of that has to do uh, schematically with why he's been clean as much as he has. It's the same in New England. In a a more dink-and-dunk-centric offense, again, this is 100-level class as opposed to the 300-level class that you're going to find in that video from Coach Hawn, a quote-unquote dink-and-dunk offense. That's what you get here. But it makes sense. It's it's, it's somewhat of a common-sense kind of thing. So it's kind of a win-lose either way. Now, the, again, my concern is that they decide to change their offense, which the negative for Tampa Bay is everything else about the offense is built to go um, a little bit deeper. Their wide receivers are built for that. You know, Mike Evans is a big play threat. His yards per reception are really high. If you look at, for example, 2019, Mike Evans was ninth in the NFL, 17.3 yards per reception. That's what he does. You look at this year, there's two things to notice. That yardage has dropped to 12.3. He's 59th in the NFL. 59th. Also, his PFF grade is a 67. So you you see the conundrum, right? You change the offense to suit Tom Brady, you hurt the rest of the offense. It makes a lot of sense to do it, and it's the thing that's going to scare me the most is for them to turn into sort of a New England-style team that where they get the ball out real quick and our pass rushers can't get home, and you see how, how much that negatively affects things. Right? Look how much of a positive it was for our defense to be able to get some pass rush going, especially now that we got Kenny back, hopefully we get Rashawn back. 
if we've got some time to tee off on Mr. Tom Brady, it's going to be a real good thing for everybody. If we don't, it's problematic, but we're not getting the best version of Mike Evans in that in that kind of a situation. So it's it's hard for me to sit here and say this is what to expect. Like I said last or 2 weeks ago prior to the bye, you know, watch for Zedarius to have a good game. I don't know. They seem to be run similar to the Green Bay Packers, a, a different philosophy of offense entirely, but still you look at the Packers, Aaron Rodgers gets the ball out of his hand quickly, but he still takes a ton of deep shots because the basic underlying philosophy is a very quick offense get the ball out quickly, take the easy yard, but then we're going to unload and take our shots. And that's going to be somewhat problematic. And that's where you really need your corners to step up. And that's where a guy like Jair has really done a good job because the the, the problem for an offense, when you're going to work quickly like that, you got to get open, right? We're going to get the ball to you very quickly, fine. But if Jair is draped all over you, what good is it? It's one thing to say, let's get the ball out quickly, but somebody has to be available. Um, the, the problem with... And I guess the reason I highlight and need to accentuate the fact that the, the corners need to step up is I don't think Mike Pettin's going to bring them a lot of help. Because remember, his, his main objective is still keep everything in front of you. And if they want to take quick, easy yards, fine, but we're not going to let them take chunk because eventually we're going to get them. So we need guys to step up and make plays on these short, quick plays. We need our linebackers. We need our you know defensive line, sniffing out screens, all that kind of stuff. Because there's not going to be a lot of help. And as frustrating as it is, I, I, I do expect Tampa Bay to move the ball for that reason. I think that's what they're going to do. They're going to do something you know, kind of similar to what you saw with, I guess, Seattle. We're going to try to work Ronald Jones with the run game, the screen game, the quick passes, get our wide receivers and tight ends involved, and just kind of work, work the belly a little bit. And I expect it to work. And again, it, it's going to come down to guys need to step up and make plays when the opportunity is available. Because again, the problem with these long sustained drives is that you have to keep doing good things, right? You convert a first down, cool, you got to do that like eight more times. And as I've said several times already, even a really, really efficient, awesome offense, we've seen this with the Packers, right? They look unstoppable as they work their way down the field, and then suddenly you're in third and long, and it's like, how did this happen? How did this sudden, how do you just flip a switch and you're in third and long? Well, an incomplete pass, and then you run it on second, you get no yards, it's third and ten. Just like that. It's one incomplete pass and a run that doesn't go in for any yards. So from the defensive standpoint, although your back's up against the wall and you're being asked to do very difficult things, you kind of just got to, you know, make a play like two or three times and you're good. And if you can if you can throw in a mistake by the offense, all the better. You know, a false start, then you get an incomplete pass, and all of a sudden it's it's third and 15. So again, it, it's, it's going to be hard to kind of project what we're going to expect from Tampa Bay. I've already mentioned that I'm, I'm more worried about their offense than their defense. Not to say that their offense is necessarily better, but I, I just feel like our defense is such that a, a, a guy of Tom Brady's caliber with weapons like Mike Evans, they're going to be able to work the defense. And so we're, we're going to need guys to step up. And the, the offensive line is, I would say, good, not great. If you just look at PFF's color-coded chart here, it's a bunch of green and then a, a blue, blue being elite. But the green can be a little bit deceptive because they're all kind of high 60s, low 70s. Meaning, again, good, not great. Meaning, depending on how the Packers' defensive line is looking, this could be a real good day or a real bad day. If Kenny Clark is kind of sluggish, which, I mean, look, we all love Kenny Clark. And we rant and rave about how dominant he is. But the guy tends to be either really on or really off. And what we need from Kenny Clark is what we've been talking about with some of these other guys, and that's consistency. I need you to play well, and I need you to continue to keep playing well. Right now, Kenny Clark is graded as the 66th best defensive tackle in football. He doesn't have a single pressure on the season. Well, he's hardly played. I know, but that's kind of part of the point. I, I, you know, How much can we depend on Kenny Clark when he's played 15 snaps on the season? How ready is he to go? How much of an impact? Because if he's a, a real high-impact guy, that's going to change everything. If Zadarius and Kenny and Rashawn are all playing and they're all having good games, the game is basically over in my mind. And that's really all it takes. I know our offense is, is you know, maybe it'll struggle a little, maybe it won't, but it's, it's not going to completely fall off. If we get 15 points in this game, I, you know, I'm not going to make any kind of wild, whatever. Any, anything's possible, but it really is just going to, in my mind, it's going to come down to, can this defense stop this offense at all? Not because the offense is elite, but it just seems like it's the anti-Tampa Bay, or excuse me, the anti-Atlanta Falcon. The nature of their offense, 
the cerebral nature of Tom Brady, what we really need is disruption. I don't think we're going to outthink Tampa Bay. Their head coach, their quarterback, they're, they're too smart to, to get cute with them. You just got to be better. And you can see what happens when you get inside Tom Brady's head. You get him on his back a couple times, you do that early enough, get aggressive, get after the guy. He's already not happy with the level of protection he's getting. Show up early and often. But the question is, are we going to get that? Are we going to get Zadarius from the Atlanta Falcons game or Zadarius from every other game this year where he didn't really show up? Is Preston going to do a single thing this year? Because right now, Preston Smith is one of the worst edge rushers in football. I mean, this is this is like, again, this is worse than Nick Perry. That's I mean, it's just it's wildly unacceptable, and it, it has to be better. It just has to. I understand people got to kind of get back in the groove. Hopefully this this bye week really helps our defense. And that's something we haven't really seen yet. Defenses are struggling. We can't quite figure out why. Maybe it's the lack of practice, whatever it is. Well, the Packers are one of the first teams that are going to come out of a bye week. Is that going to help our guys? Is Preston going to kind of come back a little bit? Is Zadarius going to solidify himself? Are we going to see Kenny and, and all these guys? Are we going to see a little bit of a defensive resurgence? I don't know. But we got to see something, man. I'm not saying I'm, I'm super worried about Tampa Bay. But the one thing that has me worried is the thought of Tom Brady, very angry, very motivated, marching on a defense that kind of just doesn't show up. And it doesn't take much, because we know the linebackers aren't all that that capable. The, the safeties have done nothing this year. Preston's done nothing this year. The other defensive linemen outside of Kenny Clark have done nothing. I mean, I shouldn't say nothing, but as far as high impact, I mean, they, they make a couple tackles, a couple stops against the run. Kingsley Kiki stepped up once, and you hate to hang everything on a couple guys, but I am, and they need to step up. We need Zadarius. We need Kenny. We need Jair. Because that's that's the biggest thing for me. That's the biggest swing between we dominate Tampa and we, we lose this game. If the defense is playing wide, because I, I, I still believe this is an extremely talented defense. We just haven't quite seen it yet. Amos has yet to step up. I mean, he, you know, he has that great pass breakup and all that in the, in the end zone, but in general... He hasn't been what he's been in his career. Savage has been a pretty huge disappointment so far this year. So, again, without talking in circles, allow me to summarize quickly. If the defense is dominant, we dominate the game. If the defense is terrible, there's a good chance we lose the game. Because our offense, I don't think, is going to be perfect against their defense. If, which is probably the case, it's somewhere in between where the, the defense isn't great, but it's kind of good enough to make a couple plays, it's going to be kind of a scary close game. Um, another interesting kind of conundrum the Buccaneers and again everything to me is pointing to they need to shift their offense and I just think that they don't want to run the ball get the ball out quickly would be ideal and I know there are certain components like Mike Evans that aren't necessarily built for that but something else that's kind of interesting they throw the fifth most in the NFL kind of talked about that a little bit when I said you know he's thrown tied for the most deep balls in the NFL, but is only eighth as far as percentage, because he throws more than most quarterbacks. They're 26th in rushing attempts. This is a team that struggles to stop the run, no question. Ronald Jones is averaging 4.9 yards per carry. Leonard Fournette is averaging 5.1 yards per carry. I feel like, again, absolute best case scenario against the Packers defense, run the ball a lot, with these guys who are kind of carving it up, Ronald Jones, especially the last two weeks, has been ridiculous, including against the Chicago Bears, one of his better games this year. He had uh, 17 carries for 106 yards, 6.2 yards per attempt. That's crazy. But again, they don't do it all that often. The other benefit is with the injuries at wide receiver, they don't have the plethora of weapons that they had last year. I mentioned last year they had a ridiculously talented trio in which they had two number ones, and their number three, Brashad Perriman, was like a high-end number two. Just a ridiculously good group. Well, right now, um, not only are guys underperforming, but it's kind of been relegated to Mike Evans is the clear number one. Otherwise, they throw a lot to Ronald Jones. Unfortunately, Ronald Jones is graded out as a terrible receiver. And again, Mike Evans not doing all that well. Gronk hasn't participated very much. He's only got 19 targets on the season, grading out horribly. Scotty Miller is another wide receiver that's filled in quite a bit with Chris Godwin being injured. He's been terrible. Godwin's been play he's played two games, I think week one and week three, something like that. He's obviously one of their big deep threats, but again, that's it's not the same offense. So again, it's 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 a team with an identity crisis, and they've got the weapons. And I, I alluded to this prior to the season. What do you do? Do you do you change the offense to fit Tom Brady or try to make Tom Brady fit um, the offense? 
And I guess the point is, you're seeing the growing pains of that. Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, they're not quite grading out what you would expect. However, you're also seeing Tom Brady grading out really well. You're seeing the running backs getting, you know, five yards per carry. It just feels like they're on the cusp of something really good. It's a matter of whether they're going to cross the finish line, and is that going to happen against the Packers? But anyways, those are my kind of convoluted thoughts on the offense. And again, it's very hard to figure out because not only does it feel like they're riding the fence, but I also feel like it's, I don't know what exactly is coming this week in particular. I have to assume they're going to play to our weakness. But anyways, we got to take a break. And then I want to give some thoughts on the opposite side when the Packers have the ball and the uh, Tampa Bay defense is on the field. So as usual, it's another day, another podcast, another day wearing my Iron Jock hoodie. Again, one of the benefits of it, when you first wake up, I'm freezing. The problem with a lot of other hoodies when I throw them on is by the time I'm done drinking my coffee and I've been down here and I get a little bit acclimated, I'm starting to get hot. I'm just feeling good, man. I forget that I'm even wearing this thing. That is, by the way, one of the features of these Iron Jock, not just the hoodies, but all of their uh, clothing. The Enduratec fabric, one of the features is breathable. On top of wicking and fast-drying, anti-static eliminates odor. It's nice when it's behind the scenes that all these really cool things are happening. You don't really think about it. You just think, I just want to wear the Iron Jock one because I don't have all these other problems that I don't really think about. You know, the fact that I've worn this, I don't know how many days now, and it still doesn't stink. Usually with stuff after a couple days, it's like, "Ah, I'm not putting that back on. I think we're good. I've taken this on several walks, wear it around at work, wear it when I wake up. I mean, at some point I should probably wash it, but it's just, don't really think about it. Smells fresh out of the package. But again, Iron Jacket is a Wisconsin-based company. They got polo shirts, vests, workout shirts, sweatpants, shorts, socks and underwear, running jackets, hoodies, and pants. Be sure to check them out at ironjock, I-R-O-N-J-O-C dot com. Follow them on Facebook or on Twitter at Iron Jock. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. All right, so let's take a look at um, the Tampa Bay defense. And again, you can go get a better look at this if you go watch that video. But I'll say the one thing that stood out in uh, Mr. Coach Hahn's assessment, and it does a good job of tying in some of my confusion in terms of the the high marks, whatever they may be for the defense, and the somewhat lack of talent. And I've alluded to it with uh, teams like the Chiefs. It has to come down to coaching and whatnot. And I think that's what we're talking about here. Um, there was a lot of respect paid in the video to Todd Bowles and a lot of the creativity that goes into what he does in forcing and dictating to the offense to make sure that they have to do certain things. Once we know that we're forcing you to do these things, we manipulate it. And it's that sort of cat and mouse stuff that, um, well, my first thought is I got to figure out how I can get um, Mr. Hahn to quit his job and just come over here and teach me all this stuff all day long. But, you know, setting that aside, it's it's Todd Bowles, but also there there's some some pieces on this defense that are really intelligent. You think about Jason Pierre-Paul has been around a long time, and Dobbin Sue has been around a long time. One of the other things I found interesting was some of that creativity tied into, for example, I mentioned Devin White and these linebackers and how good they are at blitzing. And it's funny because I think about this all the time when people look at, you know, Alan Lazard and his success, and the automatic stamp is he's become a great wide receiver without really asking the question how much of that ties back to the head coach, the offensive coordinator, the scheme, the quarterback, all these different variables. 
and again, I don't want to address it too head-on because I don't want to take away from what Alan Lazard is doing, but I think it's valid. And I really hate to quit, keep picking on the guy, but it's just it's something that we can all understand. If Mike McCarthy was still the head coach, would Alan Lazard have any success? I don't think so. Very little. And so it is kind of funny when you when you look at it and say, wow, he's actually having a lot of success here, especially in terms of like the, the linebackers blitzing or the safeties. One of the things I noticed when I was going through uh, yesterday, these players is Anton Winfield, the second round um, pick out of Minnesota, the safety, and what a great job he's doing. And his highest grade is actually pass rush. And in this video, you're going to see an example of, of, I believe it's Winfield, I'm not positive, but either way, it's a safety kind of manipulating uh, as he talked about the offensive line so that, you know, once we get you doing this, we trick you a little bit. So now you're in an, an untenable position, kind of like when I talk about how Matt LaFleur gets certain people in a position where we, for example, maybe overload one side to where you've got a linebacker who has to pick between two things. Either way, you lose. That's sort of the situation here. We force you to man up one-to-one, -one, and then we bring an extra guy off the edge knowing you can't block it. And if, if that tackle decides to disengage and go after the safety for some stupid reason, which he's probably not going to, that opens up the guy he's supposed to be blocking in man-to-man -man coverage, meaning the, the edge rusher is just going to fly right past. You can't win, right? So, so it just it makes me think about all these things about Antoine Wint. Wow, he's, a, he's an elite safety. Well, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. Maybe a lot of this is scheme. Again, his coverage grade is only a 63. His, his uh, run defense is pretty solid. His pass rush, he's number one in the NFL. And again, number one in the NFL in pass rush. You look at Devin White, number three in the NFL in pass rushing. He's terrible everywhere else, but he's a good pass rusher. And it, again, it just kind of makes me wonder a little bit, not that it really matters all that much, but how much of the success, when you find success, because again, I, I think there are a lot of flaws with this defense, but, but part of the reason I'm looking at a team that doesn't have a lot of elite talent anywhere, but they're finding success is Mr. Todd Bowles and what he's able to dial up. But going back to what I was talking about before, some of it, it, it really comes down to intelligence from Todd Bowles to Pierre Paul to Indomitian Sue, but also Winfield. I believe it's Winfield in, in the clip that he showed. But there's a, a particular clip of a real veteran move. I suppose even if it's Whitehead, I think he's a second or third year guy. So, so young guys, but displaying some level of intelligence and understanding situational football by sort of declaring one way and then booking back the other way to, to get an easy pick. The benefit of it. The thing that gets me excited, although in the video he's highlighting the cerebral nature of the defense and, and how that works to their advantage, it makes you also think that this is a really, really good defense against, let's say, for example, a guy like, oh, I don't know, Britt Rippon, who is the quarterback of the Denver Broncos. I think the Denver Broncos have got a good amount of talent, but they're very young. And especially when we talk about the inexperience they have at wide receiver, the inexperience they have at quarterback. You know, Dalton Reisner is going into his second year. He's an early pick. He's a second-round pick, but he's still young. You know, Lloyd Cushenberry, the center, is a rookie. And so you look at the success of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and you look at their best game, and that happened to come against the Denver Broncos. Well, one of their best games came against the Denver Broncos, the other being uh, the Chicago Bears. Maybe not quite as much inexperience when we talk about Nick Foles, but the, the point is, you know, you, you look at when they didn't exactly play quite as well. The New Orleans Saints in Week 1, they graded out 60 overall. That was their worst game defensively. The pass rush was still somewhat decent, but the run defense, the tackling, the coverage, it was terrible. And they ended up losing that game 23-34. to So I, I, I tend to think that this is, I, I don't know, but it, it ties in real nicely when you, again, go watch the video, reflect on some of the things I've been talking about, and you start to get a picture of a really, really intelligent kind of a defense. Todd Bowles is not a dummy. But he also doesn't have a ton to work with. He almost reminds me of the Packers offense with, with Matt LaFleur, maybe not to the same level, but you look at Matt LaFleur and you say, okay, the offense is struggling in terms of weapons. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers is, is a top-tier quarterback, but he, but he hasn't been for a while either. So you look at the elevation of Aaron Rodgers, but even beyond that, if we just lock him in as a, as a top-tier guy, look at the weapons we've had. It, it's been deteriorating, but still they're finding success and at a similar level, because a lot of what we're seeing has to do with the mind behind the offense. And I think that's similar to Tampa Bay. And, and, and again, the, the point of it is not that we're not going to have issues, not that the offensive line isn't going to be put into really tough situations, but a lot of this, and again, go watch the video, it comes down to communication. And it comes down to Aaron Rodgers making adjustments, knowing who's coming and who's dropping. And a lot of the motion and everything is going to kind of help Aaron Rodgers figure that out. Because that's that's the big thing. When, when And the, the, the game that he highlights is the Denver Broncos. When you look at that, they don't know. 
They don't know who's coming. They don't know who's dropping. They make assumptions and they guess wrong. But Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur and this offense, they're not going to snap that ball until we know what's going on. We're going to shift guys around. We're going to move guys around. We're going to figure out who's going where. The offensive line is going to talk. Aaron Rodgers is going to talk. They're going to get it figured out. They're going to get it dialed in. He's going to have a running back there to block. He's going to tell that guy, this guy's coming. Get over there. And, and again, it's not to say they're not going to have any success. Todd Bowles is a smart guy. They're, they're going to trick the offensive line. They're, they're probably going to generate some pressure somewhere, but it's not going to happen to the same degree. Right? You start hearing about guys like William Golston having a career year. It's never, you know, he's never had a year quite this good. He's off to a phenomenal start. Vita Vea, before he got hurt, you know, as much as you look at him as a run defender, it's the pass rush that's really elevating for him. Todd Bowles is just really doing a great job of manipulating offensive lines. And the point is, this is the number one offensive line, partially because of scheme, but also these guys are cerebral. They know what they're doing. They're very, very intelligent. Matt LaFleur makes sure of that, but also you got the scheme involved and you've got Aaron Rodgers who knows exactly what to look for and exactly what to do to make sure that at the very least we're on a level playing field. Because that's what Todd Bowles is trying to take away is the level playing field. Todd Bowles is trying to make up, make mismatches, but if we can just get the guys aligned right, even if we know they're bringing too many, we can make an adjustment to make sure that we got a guy that's available right over there. If you're going to overload to this side, we're going to send the guy out that way. I'm going to throw it right over your head, and he's going to be wide open. You know, something to that effect. Aaron Rodgers is the kind of guy that's going to be able to pick that stuff apart, and so that's going to cause some problems for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because it's much more hard to manipulate. And the thing is, when you get busted, now you're now you're vulnerable. It's not just a matter of now we're on level playing. Not only are we on level playing field, you're in trouble. Because I know you're vacating this area over here. Or at the very least, Aaron Rodgers has been around so long, he understands that there's a possibility that that slot corner is coming. And if he does, he's got a plan B ready to go. Those are the kinds of things that'll kill you. And then the question is, as Todd Bowles, what do you do? Do you start to back off? Do you start to play a little bit more vanilla? You see where it starts to snowball from there. So that's one of the benefits and why I think, despite being willing to concede that the defense has done some impressive things, if I'm correct, and if I'm interpreting things correctly, they're going to have a much more difficult time, not even necessarily from a talent standpoint, but from a cerebral standpoint. Not that that doesn't tie into talent, but you know, like raw talent. It's not just a matter of two guys smashing into each other. And I think, again, that's where even I, but all of us, tend to misconstrue things. We just see it as when somebody's good, they're good because it's just it's brute force good, right? Mike McCarthy, just line up and beat the guy in front of you. But, but what we're dealing with, and, and the problem is that's why that didn't work in Green Bay anymore, is because there wasn't that much brute force talent. Now it's a cerebral team that operates in terms of we're going to force you into untenable situations, and that's what Todd Bowles is trying to do. But again, I don't know that they have success with that, which means we are now dictating to the defense saying you're not going to be able to trick us, you're going to have to just beat us, which means William Golston goes from breakout game back to old school William Golston. He just is what he is, which is a good football player. But he's not breakout, best defensive lineman, blah, 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 blah. This is William Golston of old. And to be completely honest, I mean, William Golston, if you look from 2013 to 2018, he hasn't been very good. He has been revitalized with the incoming of Todd Bowles. Which, and, and that's the other thing. Every defensive coordinator has their, their, their goods and their bads, right? There, there's certain things that they're going to come in, they're going to do really well, but there's other things that you're going to be able to manipulate. And the other thing that's interesting about this, not only um, are they going to have a hard time manipulating this Packers offense because they ain't dummies. As I highlighted before, they got some young guys here. Devin White, uh, Jamel Dean, fantastic corner. Um, uh, Carlton Davis, who I talked about now, who's on the injury report, but probably going to be playing. The defensive line is veteran, but but everywhere else, for the most part, with the exception of Levante David, who's been around, who obviously is going to cause some problems, they're young. They're real young. And so now it, it becomes that sort of a cat and mouse game of, of, you know, you got Todd Bowles coming out trying to mix it up, trying to trying to create mismatches, and it, and it gets flipped on his head to where we're doing the same thing. The other thing I want to highlight, and again, I don't want to steal too much from the, the video, but one of the major things to consider, or the big takeaways um, that Mr. Coach Hahn had had is that the interior of this defensive line is pretty scary and they're going to do some creative things and they're going to have a, a real good time getting after the quarterback. But one of the areas in which they struggle is in, in the, I guess, on the exterior, Barrett and Pierre Paul, especially in their ability to do anything other than get after the quarterback and in terms of when you go from being on offense to being on defense. Uh, he tends to think there's going to be some opportunities, which again, this all plays into our, our hand. 
because while they're messing around trying to create all these mismatches, one of the ways to negate that, as I said, is to hit guys out in the flat. And while you're while while we are utilizing motion, we're going to be able to not only get these guys in motion to figure out what they're doing, but allow us to get guys into a situation where even if you've got Levante David trying to cover it, there's nothing you can do. When you've got a guy going full speed ahead while David is in the middle of the field, the best he can do is run really fast to catch him after he gets five yards down the field. So they can't be soft in the flats anymore. They have to be able to handle that. And they are kind of soft. They're soft on the edges. We attack the edges with the run. We attack the edges with screens. We attack the edges with, uh, with, with passes. And again, a lot of this offense is lateral. We get these guys moving sideline to sideline. Yeah, Levante, David, and, and Devin White are real fast, and they're going to be good at that. But again, you get the hesitation in there. It doesn't matter how fast you are. That's something I talked about quite a while ago. Speed, it, I mean, 40 time is only a small percentage of what speed is. Speed on the field starts between the ears. Because I'll take a, a guy that runs a 4.6 that can process like that over a guy that runs a 4.4 that has to stop and think about it. Because that guy's getting burned every single time. And that's, listen, that's why you get guys like Devin White who are extremely fast but are struggling and can't cover right now. That's why you get the Roquan Smiths and the Isaiah Simmonses and the Oren Burks. These guys that run fast and it's like they should just, boom, look how fast they are. Automatic cover guy. Why can't he do it? processing speed is the most important speed on the field. It doesn't do you any good if, you, if you're just running to chase from behind guys because you didn't know that they were going to be there. If you're getting blocked out of existence because you couldn't figure out where to go, so you just kind of hang back and wait to see what happens as this thing develops. Really good linebackers are guys that smash and just take off running. As soon as that ball is snapped, boom, they're shot out of a cannon. And listen, that's where, I mean, again, no reason to believe guys like Devin White can't be really good because when you tie those two things together when you're tying in what does he run here let me just let's get an official th- it doesn't say of course it doesn't say that was pretty close devin devin white runs a 442 so when you combine 442 with with really quick processing speed which you can't expect from a, a rookie with no you know preseason or any of that kind of stuff but if those two things tie together you, you've got a great linebacker but that's the most important thing you got to get and that's the biggest thing that this offense is doing is causing hesitation because nobody's running 442 when you're hesitating you may as well be a 4-7 if you got to stand there and think about it for a second after the ball snap. If you're standing around like, I don't know, should I go after that guy that was in motion? Should I be watching the running back? Are they going to run the ball? Or should I be looking at Aaron Rodgers and this guy who's running across or behind me because Aaron Rodgers is going to keep it and throw to that guy? Do I drop in coverage? Do I chase the guy that's in motion? Or do I crash down on the running back? What do you do? Well, you can either pick your poison, and, and again, you get rock, paper, scissors where you're either wrong two out of three times, or you hang back and wait, which is what we want you to do. Actually, again, it doesn't matter. Either you choose and we win, or you hesitate and we win. Because by the time you figure out that we're going to run the ball, we got a blocker coming up to knock you out of this universe. Because despite the fact that you've got the speed to, to collapse the pocket, to fill that hole before our offensive line can get up to you to get up to that next level, you're not going to be utilizing that speed because you don't know what to do. So again, I maybe I'm, maybe I'm just wrong and it's anything can happen on any given day I'm not as worried about the defense I'm just not they've got a lot of talented guys that are going to cause a lot of problems Levante David is going to cause problems uh Golston is is off to a great start Todd Bowles is no dummy they've got the third highest graded cornerback in all of football right now and their rookie safety of theirs is playing out of his mind and again there's a real real intelligent play in that video that you got to go watch that really signals a guy that could be a, a, a really talented safety down the line to be able to, to, to process to that level. But again, I just think it comes down to it's it's a good matchup for us. But again, I think their offense is a good matchup for our defense. So I tend to think it's going to be a shootout. At least, I, I shouldn't even say shootout because there's no guarantee of scoring. Um, you look at a lot of the games the Packers have, have played, they kind of feel like shootouts because the defense is struggling. But at the end of the day, the amount of times they actually get into the end zone is less. So it kind of looks like a blowout, despite the fact that you feel like the defense was terrible. They didn't give up that many points. Um, so there may be somewhat of that situation. But I, I expect the offenses to dominate the defenses for most of the game. It's really just going to come down to which offense can dominate the most. Or maybe a better way to say it is which defense is going to be able to get the other team off the field more often. And I do trust the Packers defense to be able to do that a little bit more. I think the Tampa Bay offensive line is less impressive. I don't think they have that are, uh, pass rushers that are quite as good as we do. I know they're going to get yards. They've, their running backs are playing out of their minds. So that's not even an issue. But um, it's really just got to be a matter of, of, of buckle up, strap in, 
and get prepared for for a pretty long day. The 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 other only other thing that I can think to say, and I think this is going to work especially to the Packers' benefit. We'll see how the Tampa Bay Buccaneers want to play. Again, there's the identity crisis thing. The smart thing to do would be to run the ball and, and try to hold on to the ball as long as possible. We're talking about a really hot day down in Tampa. And although that's probably going to impact the Packers more because they're not acclimated to it, the, the human body is going to suffer playing football in that heat no matter what. I don't care if you live there. I don't care if you live in Ecuador. On some level, the body can only do so much in that much heat. And so time of possession, I think, although it's always important, and it's a big part of the reason the Packers are winning as much as they are, it's going to be increasingly important in this game. Getting off to a a really hot start where we can dictate to the defense, again, stretch the field, cause them to to play laterally, which means get on your horse and run. Cause them and force them to run back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And even though we only gained five yards, they had to run 15 yards to try to stop the play. Because when we drain eight minutes off the clock on that first drive... The defense is already thinking, oh my good, we, we can't do this. Might be a slight exaggeration with eight minutes, but you, you get the point. So we'll, we'll see. Again, my, my, my biggest question and concern is going to be Tampa Bay, how they're going to play. Um, if they want to attack deep, which again, if this is 2019, that was a great way to attack the Packers. A lot of their big issues came on, on big plays, giving up too many, um, well, big plays. They haven't been as bad at that this year. Granted, if you include running plays or little screens or whatever, yards after the catch type stuff, then yeah. But just straight up 40-yard bombs, not nearly as much. I remember we, we that oh, the Lions game that I attended where I think it was the first play out of the gate was a deep shot. And then I almost think like the next series they came out did the exact same thing again. We'll see if they try to be aggressive. And if they're aggressive and successful, we're in a lot of trouble. If they're aggressive and not successful, then the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are stupid because they shouldn't be doing that. They should be playing time of possession, run the ball, et cetera, et cetera. So we'll see how it goes. Either way, the Packers are the better team. They have a better offense. Um, I would argue that they have a better defense. I think talent-wise, that would that would be the case. And I think if you genuinely analyze what they've done compared to the teams they've gone up against, at the very least, it's pretty close. You know, as much kudos as you want to give to Todd Bowles, uh, I think the best offensive line they faced was maybe the Saints, who are ranked like 18th right now in pass blocking via PFF. I think that might be the highest that I can find on here that they played. Right now they're going up against the, the third highest ranked in the Green Bay Packers. Just in terms of pass blocking grade, if you look at the pass blocking efficiency and all that, it's the, the number one team. So, anyways, those are my thoughts. I got to get going. Again, we'll see what happens tomorrow in terms of uh, having an episode. But again, I would encourage you either to check out Pack Daddy NFL, my YouTube channel. I know I haven't posted in a while. Thanks to Coach Hahn for getting me content for the first time in like a month. Um, otherwise, I'm going to be putting that on the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. I'll be sharing it in the group and whatnot. But you folks have yourselves a fantastic Saturday. Talk to you tomorrow, hopefully. Have a good one. Bye-bye.